Awesome. Hey, so good. Sorry to break up. It's the uh, weekly breaking up of wonderful conversation. I absolutely hate it, but it's all good. So good. So good. Hey, it's so great to see you all. Welcome. Palm Sunday. Really excited to be together. It's church community. Um, and just if you're new, we're just so thankful that you're here with us as well. This is exciting times, in particular because of just the moment we've been in the last couple of years. I think everybody would agree in just, you know, being online and trying our best the last couple of years. But now feeling like there's some, hopefully some light at the end of the tunnel and being able to gather. And this is big. Um, you know, our Muslim friends, um, a lot of times uh, when there is a reflection on some of their uh, uh, fasting times and whatnot, there's a fascination from a lot of times the Western world around that, which is awesome. Sometimes we forget that we have, um, as the Christian community, um, in the post kind of evangelical world, it's very free, right? We live in a very free moment, which is good. But sometimes we forget we have our, our kind of rhythm. And this is a big one, especially the last couple of years not being able to gather. The idea of Passion Week, I hope, will bring deep meaning to us over the next little while. We've been fasting through Lent, and the Lent, Lenten season has gone pretty quick here. And, um, you know, as there's a kind of fascination about other traditions or other uh, religious experiences, sometimes I always want to remind people, I know in our very free evangelical world, that, hey, we got our stuff too. We have a calendar that draws us in and changes and shapes our lives. And as much as, yes, there's freedom, there is this sense that as we enter in here on Palm Sunday, we are entering into the life of Jesus, if you're following me. So just a reminder for us as we hear and experience other things, maybe in the lives of friends and, and their traditions, that we've got something really beautiful and good. Are you with me? This is a beautiful day to be together. Um, with that... Couple things coming up. Uh, f the, I, I apologize, but the second Sunday now of every month is just going to be a big blab fest on my end on how important communities are in Community Sunday is. Just so, guys, this rhythm. So if you're new, this rhythm that we've entered into this year, where on the first Sunday of the month we gather in our Praxis communities in homes together for fellowship, hanging out, a lot of groups eat together, and then we kind of engage in some content together. It has been so good. The conversation, the depth of turning around into each other, I just can't, you know, sometimes you think about something and we kind of wrestle through, is this going to work? It's been beautiful. Um, yeah, just to see what's happening. So just want to remind us of that. And uh, the second Sunday of every month, I will remind you just how important this is in our rhythm. But what we're going to do this fr Friday, Good Friday, last year we started this. We are doing hikes together for Good Friday. So instead of having a, a gathering or a worship service together, we are hiking in a few different places around the city, and we take communion together. So we hike as a family, we bring your family along, and then we take communion. If you're in a community, we're just going to do that in the communities, and then if you want to join in, maybe you're not involved in a community, you can sign up at mypraxis.church slash goodfriday, or you can come and see me after the gathering, and we will get you hooked up with a hike. There's going to be a few different ones around the city. going to take an hour to hike together, reflect, 
the leaders will lead you through a little liturgy and taking communion together. Last year it was really great. We had good weather, and so we're hoping for the same this year. So if you want to join us, just let us know. Um, uh, we would love that. Uh, for those of you that are in communities, your community leaders will kind of help facilitate some of that just to make it easy. So if you're part of a regular community, you don't have to sign up or anything. Um, just, uh, just follow their lead, which is great. And then next week, of course, is this thing called Resurrection Sunday. There is a tomb empty. This is why we're here a couple millennia later. And so we're going to have refreshments next week. Um, we're just believing people are really going to join in next week. Going to celebrate and worship together. We'll have some refreshments. Uh, hopefully a couple special things for the kiddos. We won't sugar them up too much, okay? Because I know this is what it is. But there may be a little bit of sugar, okay? Is that all right? You just determine that. We'll provide it. You as parents facilitate it. How about that? Um, but it's going to be a great time just coming around. We, you know, this may be a moment in time where you can invite somebody along. Um, I really not just love kind of what we do. I love you. I believe that in some ways... As we gather together, we are the apologetic to show the world that it's not just programs and services, though these are beautiful, but it's actually the people of God together that show the world Jesus in this resurrection. So maybe you're thinking about that or your family want to bring along, do that. We're going to have a blast next week. There's going to be so much joy at Goodwill Industries finally back, which is great. So other than that, uh, we're just really kind of leaning into that and excited about that. Now with all of that said, this leaves us today landing our teaching series through the letter of Galatians. And this has been a weird time because obviously January we weren't gathering together in person, but it's gone pretty quick. We are actually landing this six-chapter letter um, this morning. And I'm really, I'm really proud of some of the work that we've done. I really feel kind of like we did it. We did this. On the church end and on like kind of the theme end, I feel like we have done, and I don't, don't say this arrogantly, kind of maybe it comes across that way, I don't think it is, but we've done everything we can to kind of equip our community um, around some deep context when it comes to this letter. Not you, because you're wonderful, but a lot of times, and not that these people aren't wonderful, but a lot of times when people are looking for a church, they often will say, I'm looking for something deep. And I agree that the scriptures and the church should be a community that's inviting people into the depths of the kingdom of God. We've done this, right? We had one of the, what I think is the best scholars and practical scholars and pastors on the letter of Galatians share with, share with us three times, not only a massive overview, but two really important themes around cruciform love, the importance of cruciform love and status in the Roman world and what Paul is doing in the letter. And we've really gone slow here. I think we will do this today. We're going to read the entire chapter of chapter 6. You're jacked up for this. I know you are. I can just sense it. I feel it in the room. But literally, we together have read almost, I think, outside of maybe a little chunk in chapter 4, we have read out loud every single word in this letter because the word of God changes us as it's read over us as we wrestle it. We've done the hard work. And so I really feel as a community, like we've put it out there. And sometimes what happens is, is the ball is kind of put in our court to receive it and to wrestle through it. And even in the communities, it's been wonderful. And so these, you know, we're going line by line a little, but there's also these massive themes that kind of come through. Obviously, the automatic thing we want to go to, and we've talked a little bit about this, is Paul is dealing with division in the church. Again, I know this is like on repeat, but around 
kind of falling back into Jewish identity marker type of practices that some in the church think Gentile Christians need to go through, including, and Heather every week is like, why, are we, why do you talk about this? But circumcision is actually one of these things that was central to the Jewish community, and now Paul is working with the community that are Gentiles to help them realize, like, yo, you don't have to go through this to be a follower of Jesus. There is that, there is that theme, but there is actually a bigger thing happening within the letter that we're discovering. This idea of cruciform love, the idea of status, that neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, it doesn't matter, that kind of these created categories are absolutely being obliterated in the church. In the Roman world, everything was about status. Now you come into the Jesus community in Galatia, it doesn't matter who, you've, who you are, where you've come from, Fascinating story the last year or so, a church that I've actually been connected to and was partly trained at, um, was accused of having like VIP lounges in the church for professional athletes and actors as a place kind of to separate them. There were front row seats. Nobody wants to sit in the front row, but at this church there was like celebrities in the front row. And this has kind of been exposed over, and a deep connection to this church, by the way, but there's been, um, you know, this rattling, and it's so funny, you pick up Galatians, and it shows us that the church is this one place where it don't matter what's in the bank account, or where you come from, or, come on, yeah, some of you are like, yes, there's a, there's a place for me, right? <laughs> what color of skin you have, right? Your background, your culture, where you come from, the circles you roll in, this is the church is this place that is the ultimate like leveling ground of all that. There is no status within the community of God. And Paul, randomly, Paul is the one to kind of say, I have the most status of anybody studying under Gamaliel, kind of being this guy in the Sanhedrin. There's also the theme of freedom, right? What is freedom? Well, Paul is really clear that freedom is not about my individual kind of, my individuality, as much as freedom is love of neighbor, this is Paul's vision. And what we just kind of want to look at now is the overall kind of ending, swooping theme that this is all about God creating one new family. It's not, and Paul will get to this, it's not just about, hey, you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian, and that's a good thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a good thing, right? That's, that's cool, that's great. But actually, the bigger theme is that God now is bringing people from everywhere into one new family. So Peter, the apostle Peter, actually stops eating with people in the church, Gentiles, because he thought they needed to go through these practices. And Paul is just leveling again, hey, we are all brought in. So the first bit of the letter is Paul summarizing the gospel, reminding them of the good news of Jesus. The kind of the second theme there, Tim Mackey says, is that the gospel creates this new multi-ethnic community from people all over the empire and now for us from all sorts of backgrounds and places and spaces. And then he kind of ends now with a clear picture that the gospel doesn't just transform people, but it's not tied to the law and living out Torah as much as it is living by the power of the Holy Spirit. With all that said, if you have a Bible or on your phone, you want to open with me, we're going to be in um, Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to read, I promise it won't be too long, we are going to read most of the text here and draw out. But I want you to remember as we read now that this is more about God creating a family than it is individuals. 
And we always remind ourselves as we go through these letters, but it just needs, I know it's a simple point, but it needs to be made again. It's so easy to pick up the Bible individually, and I do this. I want to kind of look at it through my own particular lens. But Paul is actually writing here to communities of people, and he says this, brothers and sisters, is that if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Fascinating right off the bat. What is this? This is about community together, that when one of us falls, that actually the mark of a, of a healthy kind of this one new family is that we would be a restorative community. Now, there's not a ton of time to talk about this. I mean, this could be a whole series in and of itself, but the, the, the Jesus community is to be this gentle, restoring community. Fascinating to me, especially kind of moving into th- uh, the therapeutic world a bit and kind of as a vocation, often when walking with people, I'll say that, you know, it's interesting. I wish April was here. I know she's uh, with kiddos. Um, yeah, just thinking through, like, how walk- walking with people through some of these things. Um, you know, often I'll say that you can say the same thing two different ways and what? Get two completely different outcomes, right? Oftentimes, it's not about what we say. It's about how we say what we say. It's fascinating here that Paul is talking about gentleness. Not that there shouldn't be correction. Not that there shouldn't even be discipline sometimes within the community of Jesus. And we're seeing a lot in evangelicalism kind of unravel a bit. It's not about um, necessarily discipline as much as Paul is like, when we restore, when those are restored, we do it gently. And then he goes on, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill, listen, the law of Christ. So this, the oozing of Jesus' kingdom, his life and his teaching is all about carrying each other's burdens. If anyone thinks there are, uh, thinks there are something, <laughs> I'm sorry, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, brothers and sisters, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So picture here of like the outworking. This is actually part of how we live by the Spirit. The tension becomes is, okay, we don't, we're not bound to Torah because Jesus fulfills that. The tough thing can be, okay, what does it mean to live by the Spirit? And Paul is just listing off things. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It looks like when somebody falls within the community, bringing them back in gently. It's about carrying each other's burdens, living for our brothers and sisters, and caring for them. Goes on, verse 7. Hanging with me? It says this. Do not be deceived. I love Paul, you know, just into it. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction, but whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So Paul says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul is adamant about the weariness of the community. Now, isn't it fascinating? This is tied into some division within the community. Right? You have people legitimately saying that you need to enter into these things to be a follower of Jesus and follow the way of Jesus. And with that, even think about Peter. Think about, 
Think about what's happening with Peter here and the kind of backing off and eating with other Christians. Think of that type of division. Sometimes when the church experiences division or hostility, and Paul even talks about this in the the previous chapters about like how we can't devour each other. And sometimes when that happens, what happens? There is a weariness that comes. Have you ever kind of gone through this? Maybe it's something within the church or maybe even relationally that you've gone through where there's something kind of on your mind and your heart maybe in some of that disorientation. It brings a weariness and Paul's automatic kind of, his default is to remind the community, listen, carry each other's burdens and don't grow weary in doing good. For the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who believe to the family, uh, to, who be, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So again, Paul gives a picture in earlier chapters of the unfolding of the Exodus in the Old Testament. They're given Torah. A reminder now for us is that no more Torah in Paul's kind of unfolding. What he's given us is this picture of the Spirit coming alongside us. And out of that, the fruit of the Spirit comes out of the church, and we do good. Now, interesting here, it says, let us do good to all people, obviously. But I also want to note that, and you get this in the Gospels a little bit too. Paul says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is a sure sign of the Spirit's work within the community. When believers, people that have come into the church, are cared for, this is when it's on like Donkey Kong, friends. This is the vision that Paul has. Now, some people will ask, why why the focus on the church? For me, it's more logistical and practical than it is um, like we don't want to help people on the outside. The reality is, is when you come into a community, we see each other. We experience each other weekly. We know sometimes who's in need. Oftentimes, this is how it works. And it's a place and space to do good. And so sometimes people will balk at, like, all oh, those Christians, you know, sometimes they just want to focus on themselves. The instruction here, I think, is very practical. We know each other's needs. We know what's happening in the life of the community to be able to act and move in that. Paul is connecting here deeply the work of the Spirit and how a a church would move in the Spirit to doing good. Come on, somebody. Like, this is actually the call for us. Uh, One of the first teachings, if you weren't here, there's a difference between what Paul speaks of as negatively, like the works of the law, and good works. Somehow in the last few years, especially the last 500 years since the Reformation, somehow good works has kind of been painted as bad. And this is not what, just a reminder, this is not what Paul is talking about. Because what is he doing here? Every freaking line is about doing good works. Can we just nod our heads? I know, like, can we just, like, I've shared this. We have friends in the States, and they do wonderful work for the rescue mission in their city. And another pastor uh, a couple years ago got up on the stage videotaped it, put it on YouTube that this church was like an abomination before God because they were trying to like do stuff to earn favor with God. That, and I, as I watched it, I thought there, this, is, this is one of the implications of the Reformation. We've convinced ourselves that doing good is, is bad. And over and over in Paul's language, he is calling this church that actually evidence of the Spirit is to do good. 
And we have to do that especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is not one solo shot. I read the letter on my own. There's implications for us. You with me? That's my little rant for the day. Is that okay? If anything, we want to be a community that does good. That does good. Does good. I speaketh English, right? Verse 11. See what large... So Paul gets in... This is funny. See what large letters I used to write to you with my own hand? And I don't know if Paul is referencing maybe uh, Romans here because there's a lot of connection between the letter of Galatians and Romans. That's for another day. But he goes on, verse 12, we're almost done, I promise. To those who want to impress people by means of the flesh and uh, and they're trying to compel you to be circumcised, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Interesting here, it sounds to me like Paul is saying, yo, your whole like circumcision Jewish stuff to be a Christian is all a smokescreen because you don't want to suffer for King Jesus. Verse 13, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So, flesh. so this is like almost like Paul sees it as something that you want people to do to boast about what has happened. Verse 14, this is awesome. May I never boast, Paul says, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then if you think this whole letter, you know, sometimes there's these themes in it. If you think it's all about, hey, don't get circumcised, Paul's like, this is not the point. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts, I love this, what counts is new creation. This is what counts. Again, not the Jewish identity markers. What counts is what God is doing in new creation. If there is any time to reflect and think as we kind of land the plane here on new creation, it is now. The Jesus community, we are people that believe in the muck, in the mire, in the disaster sometimes of looking around at what's happening in our world, whether it's been the last couple years of just a really bizarre time, to wars, to rumors of wars, to even the things we've seen culturally the last number of years, the abuse, the Me Too movement, everything. I mean, stories of people being mistreated and all that we see. New creation we hold on to is bursting forth. We believe it's springing up all around us. Now, are we caught between the times? Yes. Is there pain? Is there suffering? Is there injustice? Some of you walk into this room this morning with deep pains. Bring them to Jesus. And yet, there's this picture for us that it's not about just following a bunch of rules or clicking a bunch of checkboxes. This is about new creation at work within us. There's a bigger story here. It's not just about, hey, don't follow the Jewish stuff. It's about God is drawing this new family together to, new, to live into a new creation moment. Guys, I cannot wait for the day that Jesus returns. I really can't. And we sh- I think maybe our generation, more so than my grandpa who was a pastor, you know, they would preach on the return of Jesus like every week. They were on the edge of their seats. And I think there's a balance there. I think we need to long for that But also, you know, when the scriptures use this term everlasting life, you know when that starts? I think of the Gospel of John. That starts now. That new creation starts now. What Jesus is doing, what we will do when we come together next week and we'll celebrate an empty tomb was the Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, his ascension to heaven is the inauguration of new life. And so we live in the tension of 
living into new creation and being new creation people here in the, mom- in the moment, though there's things all around us which will eventually bleed into eternity. Now don't miss what Paul says. There's one thing you can boast in. Paul over and over reminds us in all his letters, I can't boast in my credentials, I can't boast in my status, I can't boast in my bank account, yes. I can't boast in what I've accomplished, the degrees that hang on my wall, dang it, anybody, like come on, right? But there's one thing you can boast in, the cross of Christ, which is like, that's bizarre for today, but I I just wanna remind you as we wind down here, how bizarre that was in the first century. If you remember, David talked, and he kind of went on a little tangent in one of his teachings. He talked about how uh, crucifixion really wasn't to kill you as much as it was. It did that eventually, but the length of it and what went on in that whole process. I mean, as we think on Friday, as we get together, it wasn't just about killing you. It was about, like, making this as excruciating and as long as possible. This is how the Romans worked. To think of that as a place of victory in that context is bizarro. You would never, that, that's just craziness. And Paul says, brothers and sisters, amongst all you see, all the division, Peter pulling back, trying to figure out like a, you know, people wanting to live into their creative categories and boast. And if you know anything about even uh, an ancient Greco-Roman house, there were places within the house when they would gather together where the elite would go and those who weren't elite would kind of gather together where there was good wine and food and not so, you know, kind of the leftovers in the other places. Paul says, listen, the only thing we boast in is Jesus and Jesus crucified. I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world, he says, has been crucified to me and I to the world. So if anything we can pick up as we land the plane here, we've given you, I feel like we've given you um, as much as we can around the context of this. What does it mean for us? It means a lot of things. But as we think about the division in Galatia, does it apply? There's no division in our culture right now. Are you kidding me? Like, when we talk, okay, yeah, certainly we don't have Judaizers at the door, whatever you want to call them, false teachers trying to, like, get you to do Jewish stuff to kind of come into practice church. We're, we're a little removed from that. But think about the division of the last couple years, the ideologies, the things that want to divide us, pull us apart, political agendas, Um, obviously even things that we've seen through the pandemic, what freedom is, all of that. We have people in this room that will come from all sorts of places and spaces on that stuff, and that is not the thing that unifies us. The thing that unifies us is Jesus and boasting in the cross. And as complex as it was for Paul in Galatia, we have our own moment in time, but if anything I think we could do, we could pick this up and go, okay, this is for us. It's time to live into this. And I think we are. Just seeing last week the beauty of people coming together, the thing that unifies us is Jesus. Oversimplistic? Maybe, but Paul makes one of the most beautiful cases uh, I've ever seen in drawing people together to say there's something bigger, there's something better, and we boast in Jesus and the cross. And so, brothers and sisters, My final word from this teaching, and if David was here too, I think he would say, just keep doing good. Live in the love of God. Don't live under the pressure of the law, but follow Jesus with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And even as we enter into this Easter season, may it just be a reminder of us. This is not about climbing a ladder or trying to get somewhere. God came to us. 
Now we do good. We live by the Spirit. Are you with me? Let's stand up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a couple minutes to close this morning, and Sarah and these guys are going to come and lead us. And um, as always, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, take communion together and just enter into some worship together. And there's a table at the back um, just with some bread and cup. And as we sing together, it's prepackaged, it's sanitary, it's there. And if you want, what we're going to do is we're just, as we do every single week, come to the bread and cup. In communities, we kind of do this more around a meal. But just these little symbols and reminders that Jesus says when you get together. Do this in remembrance of me. As we sing and Sarah leads us, um, you can go to the table, you can grab it, you can take it on your own or with your family, however you want to do that. And this is kind of how we're going to close Palm Sunday. Jesus walking into that city, knowing that he was going to die and that these, even the, la- the picture of the Last Supper that he says to his disciples, when you eat, when you drink, do this in remembrance of me. So this is a little way for us this morning to kind of close our time and say, Jesus, you're king. The way we do that is we eat and drink together. So let me pray for us. And uh, the table is open and you go when you feel ready and uh, just join in in worshiping with us. King Jesus, Father, you're just so good to us. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the love and light in this room, that you are love and light and we just want to reflect you. I just pray that you'd seal what you've done over these last 11, 12 weeks within us. Help us to live, not just knowing what it says, but doing and leaning in as we are a community that wants to break down these categories that often divide us, that we want to live into cruciform love, that love is what you put on display for us. And so even the little steps towards the table May they be a reminder of the steps that you took that we celebrate and we reflect on this week. That week as you journeyed towards Jerusalem and into the city and all that you did and and going to the cross and meeting with your disciples and you give them really simple instruction but also I think simple things, bread and wine, the bread and cup. May it be a reminder again year after year for us of what you've done. We enter into this today. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Sarah Lee, just let's, uh, let's, the table is open. Let's worship together.